Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. It's been on my heart for some time to think of new and interesting ways to educate you guys. I have had such a wonderful time getting to create the To Be Blunt podcast. I've obviously gotten to talk to some incredible guests and pick their brains on topics and have questions answered beyond my wildest dreams and understanding. But as I continue to submerge myself more in this industry, it only got me thinking, how can I continue to educate myself and educate others? And that's been a constant of my life for as long as I can remember. I continue to find myself in positions of education and I realized kind of in the same breath that there are a lot of topics that I don't really talk about on this podcast. Part of me definitely acknowledges maybe other people are talking about them, but part of me also acknowledges why am I not talking about them? And so I really wanted to deliver something to y'all that was a space that you could trust that information was not just being shared from a place of this is right versus wrong, but really from a stance of let's debate it, let's discuss it, let's explore it together. And kind of with that said, I've been noodling on this, you know, segment, this unique kind of, you know, type of conversation for some while. But there's been a really pressing topic in my industry, in my world here in Texas for the past couple of weeks, months really, that I thought would be the perfect way to dive into this segment. So with that said, the new segment is going to be called the tea break. On one hand, the tea break represents THC, my favorite cannabinoid. And on the other end, the T stands for piping and hot. I want this space to be a place where we are not afraid to have controversial conversations and again, to approach it not from a negative perspective, but from an educational perspective. My intent is not to create dissonance, but to rather create more community around how do we continue to evolve this industry and level it up in the process. And this is one of the ways that I believe I know how to do, which is to have conversations and to get people thinking. So today's topic is really going to structure around, is Delta 8 a synthetic? I know that Delta 8 has been super controversial in the past couple years since it's hit the market. There's obviously many conversations surrounding it from how it's made to its legal status And I think that the thing that I've observed the most is that we're not really speaking about Delta 8 always from the same perspective or language, really. And I think that that is part of what I want to address in today's episode is how do we talk about Delta 8? What is Delta 8? And really, what is a synthetic? To help us hopefully answer, is Delta 8 a synthetic? Joining me for today's discussion is a father-son duo. I've had the pleasure of getting to know them over the past couple years because they're based here in Austin and a part of our hemp community. Mark Krause and Marco Krause are two incredibly intelligent gentlemen who have over time helped educate me. And so I thought that they would be perfect guests for this conversation because they're both highly intelligent and have a really great way of distilling that information down so that anybody can really understand it. Mark has been a part of the pharmacology industry for many years. He has run a lab for the past decade or so and has been a part of the industry from a chemistry perspective for the last 40 plus years. Of course, the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. His son, Marco, is an up-and-coming student interested in pharmacology and also has his own hemp and cannabis brand, and that is kind of the foundation for their education and experience to help dissect today's conversation. So I really want to allow Mark and Marco to walk us through some of these questions that I've posed for them. But before I invite them on, I just want to again remind you to listen to this episode with open ears. And if you have questions, feel free to reach out so we can have a discussion. 
But other than that, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to present these conversations to the public, whether you're in the industry or you're a consumer who's trying to make sense of what exactly is happening. I think that this information shared is really relevant to get us to the next iteration of cannabis here in America, as well as cannabis in Texas. So without further ado, let's welcome Mark and Marco to the show. Okay, so we are kicking off a discussion that is really, really relevant. Obviously, there's a lot of noise. I'm going to say the word noise, noise around Delta 8, both at a federal level and at a state level. And here in Austin, I have the pleasure of getting to communicate, be in a community with you guys, um, work together, and just ultimately learn from the knowledge that you both share. And so to kind of start things off, please introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit more about your background and kind of I guess, how you got into the cannabis industry here in Texas, um, and really ultimately how we get to talk about the chemistry of Delta 8 THC. Uh, okay, well, I guess I'll go ahead and start it off. Um, so my name is Marco Krause. I, um, I happen to be a current college student. I mean, I dropped out originally to actually join the hemp industry here in Texas because I started off with CBD and I started off by making gummies. Um, I mean, I happen to be the founder and owner of uh, Dr. Max Apothecary and Underground Alchemy, both which happen to make cannabinoid products. And we also make other products that aren't necessarily cannabinoid based, but more just natural solutions. Um, and so from there, I mean, I'm going to be studying for a while, but I do plan on being a pharmacologist at some point so that I can actually find out that what I'm giving you actually works or doesn't, right? My name is Mark Krause. I'm the owner of Krause Analytical LLC, which is a testing laboratory here in Austin. I've been in the chemistry business for 45 years. I provide primarily expert witness to courtrooms and to defense lawyers for a variety of, of different type of cases. I'm peripherally involved in the cannabis industry in that I, I do expert testimony and I do work with Marco directly on product testing and product formulation. And it's fair, I can and highlight, you know, your family, you're related. So you do yeah. spend a lot of time together, uh, Mark, you kind of being, you know, the patriarch, but also influencing a lot of Marco's passion and curiosity and ultimately the education that he possesses around all the great things that we're going to dive into and dissect in today's conversation. Here we go. Yeah, everybody buckle up because it's about to be real <laughs> juicy. So yeah, kind of on that topic, uh, I think... Recently, there's been some miscommunication, misuse of certain words around Delta-8. Is Delta-8 asynthetic? So that's kind of the overarching question that I want to frame today's conversation with. Is Delta-8 THC asynthetic? But to kind of back up and give the listeners a little bit of a framework, what is Delta-8 THC? Delta-8 THC is one of six primary isomers of tetrahydrocannabinol. So there are, we, we, the common ones that everybody knows about are Delta-8, Delta-9. People have heard of Delta-10. There's Delta-6A-10A. There's Delta-6 and there's Delta-7. To the best of our knowledge, as far as published literature goes, there are only three that are psychoactive. That would be Delta-8, Delta-9, and Delta-6A-10A. Um, these were discovered by a gentleman by the name of Ralph Micholam back in the 70s. He's currently employed by the Hebrew University in, in Israel and is continuing and doing his cannabinoid research. Really, when we talk about isomers, these are molecules that have the same molecular weight. They differ in a chemical bond or a, chem or a bond position. When we talk about tetrahydrocannabinols, it's a bond position that that distinguishes between them. Um, the, the isomers are relatively stable. Um, however, they do undergo what is known as isomerization where the bond moves. So we can, for example, see in certain procedures that Delta nine will, if, you, if you're cleaning up Delta nine by distillation, you will get some Delta eight. Um, we know that if you have CBD, let's, let's take a little sidetrack here for a moment. 
CBD is another isomer of the THCs. CBD has the same molecular weight. It has very different chemical structure, and it has obviously very different pharmacological properties. But we know that CBD can be isomerized. That is, that it, can, it can go to these other THC forms. So we can take CBD to Delta-8. We can take CBD to Delta-9. We can take CBD to Delta-6A-10A. We can take CBD to Delta-10. The, the other two THCs are not very stable when, when we talk about six and seven. They're not highly stable, and so they're really hard to get to by isomerization. You can synthesize them, but isomerizing is a little bit more difficult. Um, each of the every time you move that bond, you get different pharmacological properties. So it reacts differently in your body. Like effects, right? Like different effects. feelings. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and Marco, you want to jump in and talk a little about that? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things is obviously being a producer of Delta 8 and whatnot, one of the things that we've noticed, and I mean, this is kind of where uh, Delta 8 even got most of its marketing standpoints from the beginning was the fact that it's not Delta 9 and it does not have the same properties as far as what it does to you or the feelings that you get. Um, the other thing is, I mean, there's other isomers on the market now, and obviously there's other cannabinoids that are claimed to be psychoactive or have certain effects that maybe they do or maybe they don't. But the fact of the matter is, if they happen to, I guess, trigger your endocannabinoid system, then they are psychoactive somewhat. Um, and so that being said, I mean, Delta-8, it's notably been said that it's more of a body high and it does not produce the same type of paranoia that Delta-9 does, right? Um, however, now that there's other isomers jumping onto the market, you hear about certain things where, oh, Delta-8 and effects with Delta-10, it works together kind of like Delta-9. And then there's other things like Delta-6A10A, also known as Delta-3 in another nomenclature, um, where they end up having similar effects to Delta-9, but it's still not the same thing. And I will say from personal use, it is definitely not Delta-8. Um, so there are, there are things as far as the pharmacological standpoint, as far as what these things do that, you know, yeah, the isomers have different effects. And obviously, whenever you talk about the different cannabinoids, if you start getting into the tail lengths on the back end, so you've got THCV, you have THCP, and obviously you can talk about THCO, but that's a completely different thing. That's actually an analog. Um, but THCV and THCP, I mean, THCV doesn't really have any notable effects, according to a lot of people, but THCP supposedly is like 30 times stronger than Delta-9. And so, yeah, the, uh, the binding in your receptors is much different based on what that positioning is. And, and I think it's a good time. Let's jump in here and just make a distinction real quick because we're going to get there. So this is a really good point to bring it in. I talked about Ralph Macholam, who's, this, who's a research chemist, an exceptionally good chemist. Um, Mr. Doc, Dr. Macholam discovered all of the cannabinoids by studying extracts of marijuana, all of these compounds are naturally occurring. That's so right. when they're naturally occurring, we call those phytocannabinoids, right? So there's an entire spectrum, I think we're up to 113 or something like that, of compounds that have, that have cannabinoid structures that have been discovered in the plant itself. These are all naturally occurring compounds. These do not, meet your normal definition of a synthetic compound. So kind of going off of that, what it like what does it mean what is a synthetic from your perspective? So if you go look up synthesis in freshman chemistry books and we can provide you whole stacks of them, right? Um, none of them are any good, but we can provide you lots and lots of stacks of them. Let's see how the definition has evolved maybe maybe not. <laughs> Synthesis involves chemical manipulation to create a new compound from starting products. Isomerization, which is what we're talking about here, we're not creating new compounds from starting pro from different starting products. We have the same starting product, which in, in the case of most people happens to be, sorry about that, happens to be CBD isomerization can be done without any catalyst. It can be done without any chemicals. It, it occurs naturally in the plant. There are, there are known biochemical pathways in the plant to get to Delta-8, to get to Delta-6A10A, to get to one that Marco referenced, which is called THCP, which was discovered by a group in Italy a, a few years ago. Um, 
and you can get there with heat and light. Now you can go look in any freshman chemistry text and you're going to find out that neither heat nor light are considered to be catalysts. Okay. So this, I, I understand that there are some government agencies that have tried to make the argument that heat and light are catalysts. No, heat and light are not catalysts. So meaning if they were seen as catalysts, then that would be a part of the synthetic process because those applied are transitioning the compound into another form. Right. Some people have tried to make the argument that heat and light are, syn- are, are catalysts because they're trying to make the argument that, that the isomers are synthetic. No, the isomers are not synthetic. They are naturally occurring. They can all be extracted from the plant. They can all be isomerized without any chemical manipulation of, of, of anything that would be recognized as chemical manipulation by a chemist into other forms. So yes, they, they, they are naturally occurring compounds. Okay, cool. I appreciate that clarification because I think uh, obviously in our world, we are very aware of these different cannabinoids coming to market. I think from a consumer perspective, their maybe interpretation, maybe just like their lack of, you know, understanding is limited. Right. And I think it's great to obviously be able to sit down and have a conversation with y'all to pull together this information in a really digestible way, because I think consumers just obviously don't know what they don't know. And a lot of the sentiment, especially when Delta eight first hit the market was, you know, well, where did this come from? But you obviously, you know, highlighted this has been inherently present in the plant and for maybe, you know, to dumb it down a little bit to clarify, you know, cannabis being the main type of plant, but it is present in both hemp and marijuana or high THC strains. So it's. Yeah. Cannabis is cannabis and it's the same plant, right? Whether right. we, whether we grow it under conditions that produces marijuana or whether we grow it under conditions that produce hemp. Cannabis is cannabis, and the bio the biochemistry doesn't change. Right. Um, I, I, and I don't want to I don't want to try to imply that you can't make synthetic forms of the THCs. You very obviously can. As a matter of fact, this is part of what the medical marijuana industry is based on. Dronabinol is a synthetic form of marijuana of, of marijuana of delta nine THC. And so when you say synthetic, it means it's not actually derived from the marijuana plant. It is a lab created synthetic product that is structured very similar to Delta nine THC to create the effects of Delta nine, but is not again, extracted from the actual plant. It is exactly the same structure. Okay. But it is not extracted from the plant itself. So the compound itself is the same. Delta 9 THC is Delta 9 THC, no matter where it came from. But in the case of dronabinol, because it is a pharmaceutical or what's known as an active pharmaceutical compound or active pharmaceutical ingredient, the FDA has very strict regulations as to the types of impurities that can be present. And the easiest and most economical pathway to get very pure Delta 9 THC is to synthesize it. So the dronabinol that's on the market is synthetic delta nine, but it is legal. It's you know, it, dronabinol has has its uses. There is um, CBD on the market that's an active pharmaceutical compound. It's uh, Marco. What's Epidiolex. the name? Alex or yeah, Epidiolex. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to highlight one thing. Um, you did say Mark did just mention that delta nine. It it you can get it derived from anything that isn't marijuana, obviously, in means that are cost effective. But nowadays with how many grows there are out there, you can get Delta 9 that is, say, non-synthetically derived. Um, so where it's just directly extracted from the plant, because obviously you have these high THC strains, which are marijuana right now, right, based on the definition in the hemp bill. Um, and so with that being said, you can get Delta 9 from THCA just through distillation, right? And you can get it relatively pure for cheap. It's just once it gets to the market, it's relatively expensive still because of the way that the programs are set up. Um, and I mean, especially here in Texas, right? Well, and you also highlighted something, right? It's, um, I guess, a question I want to poke a little bit at. These are, I'm going to go as far as saying it's an FDA approved drug because it is to be, you know, conditioned in that category, this Epidiolex or uh, whatever the Delta 9 THC uh, synthetic version is. That, does that mean it's safe, even though it's a synthetic, right? Like I'm trying, I guess, attack the question of just because something may be a synthetic, does synthetic always equal bad or wrong or negative or unsafe? No, as a matter of fact, I, I would argue the opposite. Uh, um, 
one of the things that happens when you have FDA controlled processes is they're very tightly controlled. So all of the impurities have to be identified in, in an FDA pharmaceutical. And, and it, when, it's, when it's what's called an API, if you're using an API, which is again, the active pharmaceutical ingredient, you have to know what your impurities are. This just isn't, isn't the case for plant-derived material. You make an extract and you may have, like I said, we have 113 cannabinoids that are known. That doesn't count the terpenes. That doesn't count the, the flavonoids. <laughs> okay. There's thousands upon thousands of compounds that come out of a plant when you extract it. We don't know what these do. So if you take plant extract and you clean it up, but you only clean it up to a certain extent, I would argue that you're actually a little more dangerous than running with a, with a known pharmaceutical compound. Now, that said, obviously marijuana has been used for thousands of years and there's been no known harm for thousands of years. So right. I'm, not, I'm not saying, oh boy, marijuana bad, okay? And no devil wheat. No, no, I'm not, I'm not going down that path. Um, but, but the synthetics are clearly, clearly safe. All of our medicines, almost, I, I shouldn't say all, 90 plus percent of the medicines that we use today were discovered in a plant. They have been purified. They have been synthesized. The pathways are known to make them and they're now used widely. I mean, all of our antibiotics, all of our, our pain medicine, medications, all, all of our vitamins, et cetera, et cetera. These are all things that were discovered in plants and then worked up into a synthetic process and are clearly very safe and, and very efficient. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of a little bit, you know, where Marco and I were talking before we were recording in the, you know, days, weeks kind of proceeding up to ultimately having this conversation. I think what I want to clarify for the listeners as well is I think there's such a negative sentiment around Delta 8, which is so unfortunate because I think one, words are being misused. I think people obviously just don't have a good understanding of things they don't know. And because marijuana hasn't been federally legalized, we lack a ton of research on the plant in general. And so kind of where Marco and I were making a correlation is, especially in light of the Delta eight conversation, right? It's there's good and bad Delta nine out there. So it shouldn't be, let's remove Delta eight from the market. In my opinion, I'm totally pro regulation. I'm totally pro um, standardization. Of course, I know we always talk to kind of offline about the inconsistencies when it comes to testing facilities in general in our industry. Like that to me is a huge gap of information that we just lack in transparency. But going back to kind of Delta eight versus Delta nine, it's like, is there bad Delta eight out there? You better fucking believe it. There's bad Delta eight out there. Just like there's bad Delta nine. I would not buy products from a black market. Just like I might not buy products from a brand who can't educate me, articulate these different points and have a conversation to inform the consumer. And Marco, you kind of talked about it a little bit earlier too, in the, in terms of the the differences of how these different cannabinoids effects are, right? And so I think with a state like Texas, people's original assumption is, oh, well, you don't have legal Delta 9 to play with. So you must be going after this other random cannabinoid that just came out of nowhere. It's like, no, it's existed. <laughs> but yes, people are figuring out different ways to extract the plant, to um you know, isomerize these different cannabinoids to explore other effects. And I think from a uh position where I talk to customers on a daily basis and you have customers who have either experienced Delta 9 THC and have now tried Delta 8 and they find that it is more therapeutic for their medicinal purposes without the psychotropic uh, headache and anxiety that I think Delta 9 usually produces, they're enjoying it. And so to me, I'm like, man, if customers are really appreciating this cannabinoid, why is it getting such a negative effect when the reality is you can have good marijuana, you can have bad marijuana, you can have good D9, bad D9, good D8, bad D8. So to me, the argument of all Delta eight is bad is a really, um, a really poor argument. Right. And so I guess that's, you know, kind of where I'm coming from. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that statement. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I think, as in any industry, there are good players, there are bad players. And then there's what I like to call coming out of the, out of the old myth, you know, the, the old biker myth gang stuff, bath, bathtub chemists, okay? Unfortunately, Delta-8 lends itself readily to bathtub chemistry. 
it is, it is, there is one specific pathway and we won't go into the chemistry because that's a little more, that's, that's a different conversation. There's one specific pathway that literally anybody with one class in chemistry can, can go make Delta eight. Unfortunately, it also leads to a lot of impurities and it leads to a really bad Delta eight product. Well, I, I, we certain, none of us, none of us benefit by having that on the market. Right. Nobody, nobody, nobody wins by putting garbage out there on the market. It's just like you were saying about the Delta nine. If you go into the legal states, you get really pure, or Marco showed me pictures. You get really pure crystalline forms of Delta nines. Beautiful. It's gorgeous stuff. That's something that everybody should be pushing for. Right. But you know, some black tarry stuff that somebody tells you Delta nine. No, that, that has no, I agree. That has no place in the market and we need to control it. Right. Yeah. And that's, no. we'll go for it, Marco. I was going to say one of the biggest things that I, I've noticed, and especially with people talking about full spectrum and then, you know, talking about isolates, one of the biggest things that you have to, I guess, notice is the fact that you have what is considered a crude oil, which means it's a first pass oil. You ended up just extracting it right out of plant material and it still has all those chlorophylls and all these other things present, such as, you know, just fatty waxes and all these other things that are kind of present in the plant anyway. And I mean, this is part of where you get into the whole, if you smoke flower material versus if you smoke a concentrate, which one's better for you, right? Um, however, that being said, you have to definitely notice that with plant extracts, there are plenty of impurities like Marcus saying. And one of those big impurities, I mean, this is, this goes back to the synthetic, right? Um, are solvents left over in your processing, right? And a lot of people always ask, oh, is that CO2 extracted? Is that just kind of, you know, cold press? What are you doing in order to get to these means? And I mean, with Delta-8, and Mark's highlighting this, it can be done in bathtub chemistry. It can also be done in other means, which, you know, doesn't necessarily involve a bunch of catalysts or solvents present so that you have to get to it in a pure form. The other thing is you can always go back in and clean an extract this happens all the time. I mean, this is how you get to isolates. You end up isolating the specific cannabinoid out of that extract, right? And then from there, you can get a crystalline form or you can get just kind of your typical distillate form, except if it's over a certain percentage, it technically is an isolate. That was going to be my question a little bit too, right? Like using the current language that people are discussing around Delta-8, couldn't that same argument be made for an isolate like CBD isolate? Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, CBD isolate, most people end up going through what's called spin band distillator. And so this is after they've extracted and then they go through fractional distillation more than likely to purify their CBD. They go through a spin band distillator in order to get it cold and make sure that it falls out in that crystalline form. It takes time for crystals to form. It doesn't just happen immediately. Well, so going back to kind of Delta eight, knowing that we can kind of push it or pull it into a particular direction, uh, you shared a little bit before we were recording, I'm just kind of like how you stumbled upon Delta eight, but obviously it is present. Like it's a, it's a process that is easily done. If you have some basic understanding of chemistry, like you already highlighted, I'm just curious to have, you know, I think with Delta eight, there's so many interesting layers to the conversation, which is something that I'm really mindful of trying to address, right. Depending if I'm talking to legal counsel, if I'm talking to a customer, if I'm talking to a vendor, right. Making sure that I understand what I'm asking for when I am procuring these types of products. And I think that there's some understanding around what is Delta eight, what is synthetic, but also how is Delta-8 created, right? But then also, what does the law say about Delta-8? So from my understanding, Delta-8 that is derived from Delta-9 is illegal. But if you derive it from CBD or hemp from that conversion side, it's legal. Can you kind of take that uh, that messy analogy and clean it up a little bit for us? <laughs> let's, let's, let's look at what the USDA Farm Bill actually says. And Marco, feel free to jump in here if you have additional. I was going to say, I've actually got HB 1325 pulled up since we are here in Texas and it directly copied the farm bill. Um, I can go ahead and read what the definition of. Read, read the quote. Yeah. So definition in this chapter, hemp means the plant cannabis sativa L and any part of that plant, including the seeds of the plant and all derivatives, extracts, cannabinoids, isomers, acids, salts, and salts of isomers whether growing or not with a Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol concentration of not more than 0.3% on a dry weight basis. Okay, so, so this is really pretty straightforward. If you, it, 
remember we talked about cannab uh, cannabis sativa is the same plant, whether you grow it to produce marijuana or whether you grow it to produce hemp, it's the same plant. If your plant has less than 0.3% Delta 9 THC on a dry weight basis, it is hemp. Hemp is legal. If you have more than 0.3% Delta 9 on a dry weight basis, and we need to clarify this, Delta 9 THC is defined as Delta 9 THC plus THCA. Okay, so you have to add those two, those two analytes together and that gets you the total Delta 9 THC. So if you're over 0.3%, no matter what you do, you're illegal. Right? You can do anything you want to with it, but, but you're, if you're in an illegal state, you're illegal. If you're below 0.3% Delta 9, as Marco read, any derivative isomers, read, read that again, because it's really important. Yes. So including the seeds of the plant and all derivatives, extracts, cannabinoids, isomers, acids, salts, and salts of isomers, whether growing or not. So, so you are allowed by that, by that definition, you're allowed to do isomerization. Technically you're allowed to do, to make derivatives and what we would call analogs. Um, as long as your Delta nine THC stays below 0.3%. Now, interestingly, there, there was a few weeks ago, there was a, a temporary restraining order request in the state of Texas. And by, and the, the plaintiffs argued that, that Delta eight should be removed from the controlled substances act. We won't get into that argument, but the state, the state made the statement, nothing has changed. This is true. Nothing has changed. There are no changes to the USDA farm bill. Texas is compliant through house bill 1325. Texas is compliant with the USDA farm bill. As long as you stay below 0.3% Delta nine and you're coming out of legal hemp. And that's going to really emphasize that because you have to have the paperwork as, as a manufacturer. And you know, this shit as a retailer, you have to have the paperwork to show where you got your products. That's right. Okay. As long as you have that paperwork in place and you can show that you're below 0.3% Delta nine, you're legal. It is a legal compound. Why do you think people are, or maybe again, it seems like we're, I'm going to say we as a collective, because it's obviously so many different conversations have spurred just from Delta eight in general, kind of hitting the market over now what it's been almost two years. I feel like we've seen Delta eight kind of here in Texas at least, but it seems there's always an attack on it, an attack on its credibility, its efficacy, the legality status of it. And kind of everything you're painting out makes it obviously there's bad actors for sure. But again, in any capacity, but the, the intent and the purity of the farm bill, as well as Texas's interpretation and adoption of the farm bill into the hemp bill, the house bill rather um, from 2018, 2019, it has allowed for, these other cannabinoids, as long as, like you said, less than 0.3% Delta nine THC plus THV is present. So why do you think people are coming after Delta eight and calling it a synthetic and a little bit too earlier, we were talking before we were recording about true synthetics, right? Like K2 and spice and things like that. And so I wanted to kind of, you know, dive into that aspect of maybe, maybe that's the fear of people assume that Delta eight is actually more like a K2 spice and, and kind of, you know, what's that opinion? So one of the things I'm going to mention before Mark dives into this, because I know he's going to have plenty to say, but um, one of the biggest things is obviously with Delta eight, you hear about, it's got a lot of things left over. And I mean, this is one of the biggest issues that I've run into in the industry in general happens to be understanding what a COA actually says. Oh, for sure. And understanding how you pass on certain standards and whatnot. Um, the thing is with Delta eight, there are plenty of means for getting to it. I mean, we know of in our lab alone, probably about 12 to 20 different pathways for getting there. And it depends on what kind of pathway you're looking for. There are means for getting there very, very synthetically where you don't even start with hemp. There are means for getting there from CBD isolate. And I know that there are means from actually just extracting biomass, but that being said, you talk about synthetic and Mark can take over from here, but um, you definitely bring up spice, which is an entire different series that isn't necessarily cannabinoids. Right. So 
So K2, what's known as spice, are a whole series of compounds that were identified by a chemist by the name of Huffman. And Hoffman, I'm sorry. And, and Dr. Hoffman created a whole series of compounds that had pharmacological effects similar to marijuana. And so they called them synthetic cannabinoids. DEA lists these compounds as Schedule One substances, and I'm complete agreement they're really dangerous. So just as a, a little public, public safety message. Absolutely. <laughs> A little PSA, hey kids, stay away from spice. It's really bad news. Okay, um, but uh, but they they recognize that those they call them synthetic cannabinoids because they were called in the in the industry cannabinoids, even though they don't have the same structure as as tetrahydrocannabinols. As, as a matter of fact, DEA recognizes that those are synthetic cannabinoids because they actually list in the same schedule a naturally occurring cannabinoid, which is HU three ten. Okay, which can be extracted from marijuana. They list that as a, as a Schedule One substance, okay? whereas they make the distinction, okay, HU310 can be extracted. They have to list it specifically. Therefore, they know that when they're talking about synthetic cannabinoids, they're not talking about cannabinoids that can be found in the plant. This is the DEA CSA. Now, you know, everybody's CSA is different. Obviously, Texas has the right to publish their own Controlled Substances Act. Um, the, the one thing that I will point out when we're talking about the legality of all of these things is that HB 1325 specifically says that it has to be in compliance with the USDA Farm Bill. In other words, if there are changes to the USDA Farm Bill, HB 1325 requires that DSHS modify their their regulations. Now, those are regulations, not rule. HB 1325 is law. It is rule. DSHS publishes regulations. The regulations must be modified to comply with changes made in the USDA Farm Bill. That's part of HB 1325. Um, Delta, 8, Delta 8 gets a bit of a bad name, I think, because I don't think anybody's intent was to legalize the THCs. Okay. Absolutely, I right. I think it got accidentally legalized in the USDA Farm Bill because, as with most things, people didn't consult with any chemist before they decided to put laws together. Um, and they didn't realize that it had no recognition of the fact that you could actually make Delta-8 or any of the THCs from CBD. I don't think any of them had any clue. Right. I believe that had USDA recognized that, they would have never published the Farm Bill as it's published. But they did publish it the way it's published. It is law. DEA does recognize that USDA has primacy or has control over hemp. And, and they both USDA and DEA publicly have acknowledged that, yes, you can get to the THCs legally from hemp. They acknowledge this. So part of the problem I think you run into is that some of the Delta 8 that's on the market uh, is not legal. Right. It has... Delta-9 concentrations vastly in excess of 0.3%. The law enforcement knows this. They, 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 you know, they actually do employ chemists and they actually have pretty good ones. So law enforcement has a really good idea of what's legal and what's not. And I think some of the, some of the fear is how do I know if my Delta-8 product is legal? It's not legal. That, that's, a really good, that's a really good question. I mean, that comes down to things that you and I and Marco have discussed previously about how do we as an industry police ourselves? How do we make sure that the lab results are valid? How do we make sure some lab's not just lying? That's right. right. These, are, these are things for a different discussion, but, but it's, it's, it's a, it, it, it certainly is something that the end user has to take into account. No, I completely um, obviously agree to the extent that I, I always want to operate with the understanding that I could be wrong, right? And also acknowledging that our industry, while cannabis has historically been around for a long time, it's also obviously been really segregated for a long time. And I think now that it's coming out into the public's eyes, like you highlighted, especially in regards to the farm bill they didn't know what they didn't know when they were writing it. And now that interpretation um, by the industry has obviously gone rampant in some regards. 
And again, just to kind of point out for the listeners, my stance is not that Delta eight is good or bad. It's ultimately that there has to be some better regulation for the industry. Just like you highlighted Mark in regards to better testing, better quality assurance, just education in general, self-regulating and trying to educate them and pass out information on a consumer. So they are aware. And I think that's, what's just wound me up. So, um, tight around this, unfortunately, is just the the bastardizing of this cannabinoid, which I think if it was presented in a different setup, in a different market, in a different scenario, better communication, different communication, maybe it wouldn't be so demonized. But obviously, you know, I can't help but observe what's happening, how legalization has been going at a federal level and at a state level. You know, I look at other states where they went medical to rec. And then of course, hemp legalized at a federal level. They have a much different market, of course, than we do from a hemp perspective, but also from a Texas perspective, we don't have the best medical program. We definitely don't have recreation. And you're seeing the hemp industry really driving, obviously the productization of these minor cannabinoids. And there's some research being done, obviously, that shows the efficacy. There's obviously a lot of anecdotal research that's being done of all the people who over the past, you know, year and a half who've been consuming Delta 8, the actual adverse effects that have been documented are fairly relatively small from my understanding. And so to me, this seems like people are blowing something out of proportion that should be better regulated. I don't think anybody here, especially in our conversation is like, people should have Delta 8, but don't regulate it. It's like, no, (laughs) no. I'm not saying don't make sure what you have is, you know, not including these residual products or these residual ingredients or residual chemicals or getting someone to go alter a test result just to make it in my favor. I genuinely want to put products on the shelves that I know are what they say they are, which is why I do the work to have these conversations, especially with you guys, but obviously with any of my partners and vendors. And I think that's where I'm just really frustrated from a, industry perspective, people are taking advantage of this cannabinoid and really creating a lot of chaos instead of educating ourselves and ultimately educating the industry and becoming stronger because of it. Well, one clean Delta eight is a really remarkable compound. It's got various pharmacological effects that are not studied. Uh, we, Marco and I can tell you one, which we actually have documented which is it causes reduction in your blood pressure. It's pretty significant. Um, that, that obviously is of great interest to, to medicine, okay? Um, it, it clearly ad- ad- attacks, addresses and ameliorates pain. So we, we have thousands of veterans who have gotten themselves off of opioids by using Delta-8 for pain mediation. There, there are beneficial things to, to the product. There are also people out here who add bleach to their Delta eight so that they can make it go clear. That's just, I'm sorry, that's unethical. And in my opinion, that kind of, of product hitting the market is just completely unethical. Should we have clean Delta eight available? Absolutely. Is it legal? Absolutely. Is there crap on the market? Yeah. A lot of it. And, 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 and how do you as a retail store distinguish between the good and the bad? It's hard. It really is. You have to, in some respects, have faith in your manufacturers. You have to, you have to also trust that they want the same thing that you do, which is legal, clean, healthy products, right? And, and as you know, and, and unfortunately we know, that's just not the case for everybody in this industry. Yeah, um, and I mean, it sadly is more common than not that you see people that have jumped in in the past. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say six months now, just because, I mean, since I've been saying this, it's already been some time, but there's been a lot of people that jumped in this industry because they saw that it was essentially the, the beginnings of a recreational style market for and sure. saw the chances at lots of profits. I mean, I, I can tell you there is tons of companies, I mean, within just Texas that did it. But that being said, there's also your groups out there that are truly trying to actually use these products for beneficial uses, right? I mean, you've got people who are doing microdose quantities, trying to figure out pain management solutions. You've also got people going up to hundreds of milligrams at a time to just get stupidly high, but it depends on what you're looking for. And I mean, it just, 
yeah, once again, like Mark said, you have to have some sort of faith in your manufacturers and you have to have faith that they know what they're doing. Because the other thing is in this industry, there is a lot of people that say they are GMP compliant or they are ISO compliant or this and that. Meanwhile, do you even know what that actually means or are they just telling you that? I couldn't agree more. I think it definitely requires more understanding at an individual level who's operating the industry, right? Like I think part of the problem is these people saw an opportunity like you highlighted with anything, with any new emerging market, there's obviously a huge rush to it. And with the understanding of some of the psychotropic effects of Delta eight, of course it plays in a different realm compared to Delta nine. It's not as regulated from a checks and balances perspective, right? Which I think that there's a lot of influence from that market into, I think the negativity around Delta eight, because I don't think people know how to play with these two different markets where one is so restrictive, you can't cross state lines with the product, even if it's two states neighboring are legal versus Delta eight. And now obviously less than 0.3% Delta nine THC by weight, you can ship those across state lines. And you have to hope that the people that are manufacturing those products and selling those products have care and concern. Packaging, labeling, testing, all those different attributes to ultimately deliver. And I talk about this a lot. So obviously um, I'm very passionate about it, but we are delivering consumer packaged goods. Emphasis on consumer. Of course I don't want my consumer to have a shitty product, have a bad effect, take too much and have an overdose. The whole point is to understand the options that are available from a legal perspective, understand the plant enough and the capabilities of the plant from an organic perspective of what's naturally occurring in the plant. And then the market, the industry is figuring out how do we bring those products to consumers? And there's so much to be done when it comes to education and testing. We've obviously covered it extensively in our discussion, but I really did appreciate getting to have you guys on for this conversation. I know that there's not a, you know, punctuation that I think everybody can really, you know, kind of walk away from in the sense of is Delta eight always synthetic or always not synthetic? Cause there's always going to be good and bad players out there. And so really the importance of this conversation was just to shed a little bit of light from a language perspective on what it is we're talking about when we talk about Delta eight being a synthetic. And so I really, again, appreciated y'all coming on and having this conversation and for all the conversations that we've privately had prior to this conversation to just really, truly help me understand what it is that we are selling and what is happening to the industry that we are operating in and ultimately to defend a plant that we all love very much. And I know has been really therapeutic for all of us in different capacities. Right. So kind of with that, I wanted to just open it up. If there's any final things that we didn't discuss that you want to share, please let us know. Um, I think the one thing that I want to highlight, and this is a really big one moving forward because Obviously, this is going to affect the industry as we go forward with our next set of regulations coming from a federal standpoint. And I mean, in a year and a half here in Texas, a just state standpoint, right? Um, The wording choices need to really be understood before they are just mentioned. I mean, the word isomer, as Mark was pointing out, CBD happens to be an isomer THC. So does CBC, by the way, because they both weigh that 314. Um, Part of the issue is, you know, the word isomer doesn't necessarily fit when you talk about THCP or THCV, you actually need to talk about the word homolog there. And then THCO doesn't even fall in the homolog definition. It actually falls into analog, like Mark Mark had mentioned there is analogs. But um, that being said, you have to be very careful when you say that because there's also the issue with the analog rules when it comes to scheduled substances. And so you have to pay attention to what that wording is actually saying and what it means. Um, And so from a chemistry standpoint, you really do need to know what the definition is before just commenting, right? Yeah, we probably need a whole other episode on all of the other THCs, THCP, THCO, et cetera, but couldn't agree more. I'm going to make one final statement regarding the synthetics. And and now I'm speaking as a laboratory. So in the library, I I have a very nice little laboratory where very well equipped to separate all of the THC isomers. And we, we really know what we're doing with it. We do a lot of process troubleshooting. If you were to bring me two samples of Delta eight, one of them naturally derived and one of them synthetic, I could not tell the difference. I in my laboratory cannot tell the difference. 
And what I'm telling you is that with the exception of maybe five or six laboratories in the United States, no one can. Okay. So it's not really a feasible argument to say, oh, but I know your Delta-8 is synthetic. No, no. Chemist, chemically, we can't make that distinction. We don't know that. If you get the Delta-8 clean enough, there's no way for me to tell how you made it. Um, there's no way for anybody, not just me, for any chemist to tell how you made it, if it's clean enough. So I think that, that the synthetic loses some, some of its bite in this particular case. I think really what we're talking about is, does it have less than 0.3% Delta-9? That to me is the, is the overarching requirement. As long as you stay in the legal bounds of the USDA Farm Bill requirements, you're, you're hemp. And as long as you keep your paperwork in place and you use good laboratories and you sell good products that meet that definition, you're legal. Where you get into trouble is when you get outside of those boundaries, you get too much Delta-9 or you don't have any paperwork, then it becomes really questionable. There's obviously a lot more to it, but I think this is a really good stick in the sand to kind of draw a line and hopefully the listeners feel just as empowered as I do to, you know, be a little bit more bold in pushing back on some of these terminologies that are being thrown at us. I often reflect being in this industry, you know, unfortunately there aren't a ton of leaders because it's so new, right? And so when you look at the history of cannabis, and especially you look at the adoption of it in our state here in Texas, at least, oftentimes I look around and I'm like, oh, who are we even listening to? Where did they come from? And where did they come up with that, you know, conclusion? I look at who they work for, what their ulterior motives are, uh, what influence they have. And I think, again, that those we just need to continue to be more critically um, addressing and assessing these conversations. So thanks for helping me um, unbox and unpack this one. And if anybody has any questions about anything, listeners, uh, obviously y'all know how to reach me through social media, but I will share my guest contact information in the show notes and encourage you to have a dialogue, you know, ask questions again, like I kind of started this segment with, I want to not be wrong, but I want to explore multiple perspectives. I really want to be somebody who not only says that, but lives that. And I think part of that is by having these conversations as bluntly as we possibly can so that we can strengthen ourselves and continue to elevate the industry instead of holding ourselves back. So thanks again, y'all. Thank you.